0: I get up early every morning, right? And I'm sitting here and I look out my window and there's the taillights going up the hill. Uh And I said, so I text him or called him and said, what are you you doing, Jose? Well, I'm checking the heavies. And I said, I thought you were going to go scout for (laughs) sheep today. And he goes, well, I am, but I want to check these first before I go. And that's that's the kind of employee, if you want to call it that, that he is. So, yeah, that's the way the day started. He's up checking heifers at way before daylight. Yeah. And and then he's you know, he said, Well everything's good. I'm gonna head up and start looking for odd
1: So that is a full two hours before shooting light. Yes. Okay. So all right. I think we've established that you're a really hard worker and you care about your job, but you also care very much about hunting.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anything to do with hunting, I'm all about it. Yeah. Yes. And it don't matter who it is, I'm always happy to help. Just I love it
1: these are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands i'm james nash and this is the six ranch podcast A hot drink can become cool in two primary ways, through conduction and convection. Conduction occurs when two objects touch each other. Imagine holding a piece of ice. Before long, your fingers are cold and the ice begins to melt. That's conduction. Convection occurs when a gas or liquid moves from being different temperatures. When you heat water over a stove, the warm water moves up and the cool water moves down. That's what you're seeing when water boils, and that's convection. A stainless vacuum bottle prevents conduction from occurring by creating a void between the walls of the bottle, thermos, or cup and the outside air. It prevents convection by keeping all the liquid inside at the same temperature. That's how a Stanley product keeps your cold drink cold and your hot drink hot. And they've been doing it for 110 years. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Stanley 1913, and you can check out their new and classic line of products at stanley1913.com. Uh, Jose, what's your last name?
2: Correa, C-O-R-R-E-A. Does that mean anything? The riata, the rope. Uh-huh. Correa.
1: Okay, that's another word for it. Yeah. I've never heard that before. It's I more of a Spain. You
2: know. Is it? Yeah. yeah. My last name carries Spain. Okay.
1: Yeah. What's the connection like between your family coming to Mexico and then to the States? How how far back was it from Spain? Do you know?
2: Uh, my dad's side of the family are have Spaniards. Okay. And that's how I got my last... My first last name is Correa. My yeah. My second last name from my my mom is Vasquez. Okay. And that's more traditionally Mexican. Yeah. And uh, that's how...
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, where I was in Quintana Roo spearfishing, there was a lot of stuff was named Velasquez. I don't know if that's specific to that area because you said you were from just north of there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: right in the middle. You're just right below Sinaloa, New yeah. State.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, how often do you get to go back?
2: Uh, I got to go back about three years ago. Yeah. After being here about 15 years without being down there, and then I went again the next year, and I haven't gone after COVID hit. Yeah. Just because of all the hassle. Sure. Yeah.
1: And uh, we've also got Mr. Craig Nichols, who's just a dirty Irishman, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Drink, right. drinking some Irish whiskey. Drinking it's Irish actually whiskey. pretty darn good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Told you I put a, I spit in the tubes to get my genealogy stuff, right? Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah you sold your DNA to the government? Sold it to the government. I wanted to find out for real what I was. Uh-huh. You know, i had been hearing all these stories my whole life with the family that were part Native American and part this and part that. Sure. And uh, my friend Susie, she sent hers in, and when it came back as a pie chart and it had all these colors on it, and I thought, God, that's cool, i got to try this out. So I sent mine in, mine came back, I pulled it out, it was all red. All but one little tiny slot, and I'm 96.8% Welsh-Irish.
1: Oh, how unfortunate. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what was the other bit?
0: Uh, Native American. Okay. It was a little bit, and... And uh, Black African.
1: Uh-huh. Yep.
0: Yeah, cool. And it was all right during that time when we were annihilating the Native Americans and doing it with our slave partners. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so something was going on there. So they they can even
1: track back. When,
0: to... when that genealogy came really? out. Yep.
1: That'll be interesting to see whether that gets used for good or evil, I guess. I know. But, you know, you, you could you could imagine that it might help with... Detecting diseases early on and uh, maybe even helping people understand, like, what professions they'd be the best at, you know, where where their skills are are likely to be. Who knows? Yep. You know, we see that stuff with, you think about it with, like, horses and dogs, though. Like, you can have a couple of really great dogs and then they'll have terrible puppies. Or one puppy out of the litter will... Be incredible, and the others won't. Yep. Same thing with horses. So yeah. Th- look at Secretariat. Yeah. Th- there's best, only so far the genetics in can, the
0: world can take couldn't.
1: take you for performance. Yeah. yeah.
0: Couldn't have any offspring that did anything at all.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Jose, when did you get interested in uh, shooting and hunting?
2: Uh, about maybe I'd say ten years ago. Ten years ago.
1: Yeah. So you were living here then. Yes. Yeah. How many years ago
2: did you move to the states? Um. Been here since oh five. Okay. Uh, so now it's. I think I'm going 18 years in March. Wow.
1: Yeah. Uh, what was that like moving here? You're 16 years old, 17 years old.
2: I was. I just turned 17. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was a whole new world, man. Yeah. Yeah. No English. All Spanish spoken. Yeah. And how did you come across? Uh I crossed through the desert.
1: Did you really on yes, foot? I did.
2: It was a brutal, it was a 10 days total.
1: Did you um, pay somebody to take you?
2: Yeah. Well, my mom did. Yeah. Um, I I had no family coming with me on that group. It was all me.
1: Yeah. Um, was it scary or was it exciting or?
2: Uh, it was exciting and scary at the same time, but yeah. more, more exciting to leave yeah. Mexico because what Mexico was becoming was nothing that I wanted part of. So can we talk about that a little bit? Go ahead. Yeah.
1: When I was in Texas a couple of years ago, we we're still probably 40 miles from the border. Um, down uh, south of Sonora, I guess. And I shot this freaking pig with my 10 mil, right? And it went about 40 yards into the brush. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go drag him out of there. And by the time I got out 40 yards in, 40 yards out, I was damn near naked. The thorns had just ripped everything <laughs> off my body. And being 40 miles into the U.S. at that point, from the nearest point on the Mexican, Mexican-U.S. border, man, every single fence post that you could climb over, um, all the wires were bent around it. You know, there's just tons and tons of people that were still coming and were still hiking across shit that had just torn me to shreds in in 40 yards. So it made me really think hard about how bad... The conditions were that people were coming from because it would have to be something really really bad for me to have to hike through that for any distance at all um it would have to be worse than the experience of, of hiking right yeah and you're talking about hiking for 10 days yeah through that shit
2: the last three days i didn't, I didn't have nothing to eat or drink
1: nothing to eat or drink yeah. for for three days in the desert yeah that would kill me i would die i'm that's i'm so much weaker than you it's not even freaking worth talking about Uh well, God, okay. So what's bad? Like, what is so bad that it keeps you motivated to keep going through that?
2: So the economy—you can get a job and only make about nine to ten dollars worth of what you would be making in America. Okay. So it doesn't go doesn't go very far.
1: So nine or ten bucks for like a day's work?
2: Yeah, a day's work, and it doesn't go very far.
1: Right. I mean, it's not like. You can buy everything you need for $10. Yeah, no.
2: Yeah. Uh, so you'd be making about 100 pesos a day. Okay. And you know, if you went to Mexico lately, you know yeah. what 100 pesos buy you. Yeah, not much. Exactly. Taco. Yeah. So mom had came here before me with my brother and sister. Mm-hmm. And at that time in 05, it's when all the cartels were trying to fight territory. And it was It was, I mean, you, you'd you have murders. Everywhere. Yeah. So either if I, if I didn't came to America, I probably wouldn't end up being a criminal. Yeah. Because that's about the only job you can get that pays good. And, and you've kind of got to, to stay safe to a degree, right? Yeah. Because if you don't cooperate with them, they either, there's a saying in Mexico, uh, plomo or, or plata.
1: So feather or lead. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It um, translates to that. Yeah. Yeah
1: so you can either you know accept the money and be part of the deal or accept the lead and you're not part of
2: it yeah yeah and so at 17 uh, or 16 then uh i mean i have no you know no parents over there my dad uh he wasn't really around yeah um so i thought it was the best idea to come to america okay i'm
1: glad you did i'm really glad he did yeah uh i i can't imagine can't imagine what that crossing is like and we see so many people do it right yeah so what advice do you have to to americans who are thinking about immigration and they look at it as a problem or or whatever like how how can you help people understand what's going on better
2: i believe that um Yes, people should do it the right way, but the right way sometimes has so many hoops that you have to jump through. Right. And it's so expensive that there's no way yeah. a, a Mexican citizen can, can, can afford it. Yeah. So easiest way is coming across. Uh, but once you do come across, people, there's all kinds of people. And I'll say it about my own people. Yeah. Uh, there's people that want to work and better their life, and send money to Mexico, and then go back. Uh, there's people that come here and do stuff that they shouldn't be doing. Right. But that's not a racing. That's an, No. That's a people thing. Yeah, it's a people thing. Yeah. yeah. And if you have the people that work hard, you know, they get respected, whether they're illegal or not, or legal. Yeah. You know? Um, it, it's going to always be a problem for America. Because America is such a great place. I see it as the best freaking place in the world. What's great about it? It's, uh, so the 16 years that I lived in Mexico, As Mexicans, we can't, in our constitution, uh, we're allowed to have bear arms. Mm-hmm. And the government in 1974 said, no, only the government and military and police can have guns. Well, that opened up the doors for cartels and criminal activity to only have guns. How are you going to defend yourself against them? And gotcha. so, I, so I mirror that against America. And America is you can bear arms, you can defend yourself, you can defend your family. And I see American people, mostly Democrats, talking about only the government should have such, such and such gun. Right. You know, we don't need guns. No. If you live there, you know you need guns to protect yourself.
1: So, yeah, you you got to see what that was like, how things changed after yeah. 1974.
2: There is nothing you can do about it. They come to your place. You have a little store, a little taco stand. They come to you. You have to pay them. Yeah. There's, you either pay them or they'll kill you. So what are you going to do?
1: And you don't have much to pay with. No? Yeah.
2: Uh, so the way that America is, to me, it's... <laughs> He uh, has given me a lot yeah he's given me freedom he's given me good economy status uh, being able to go hunting to uh have guns in my house to protect my family and i'll teach my kids uh where I come from and I, and I teach them what America is and how they should look at America because I am proud of america i 'm not an American. I'm a U.S. resident, but I I do love how what Americans stands for.
1: That's some of the most heartwarming shit I've ever heard in my life. I know. Yeah. A few
0: years back, I, I uh, we were talking. I don't remember what we were talking about. And he said, well, "I can't," and I said, well, "Why not?" And he said, "Because if I something came up, I'd get deported." And I said, well, "What do you mean?" He said, well, "I don't have I don't have my green card." And I said, "Geez, Joe, hold say, why don't you have your green card?" And he said, "Well, I'm afraid the hoops that you have to jump through." He said, "One of them is I have to go back to Mexico," and he goes, "If I go back to Mexico, I don't know if I can get back again. Gotcha. I get stuck down there." And I said, "Well, if I could guarantee you to get that you would get back to Mexico, would you go back down there and get your green card?" And he goes, "Well, I've, I've wanted to for a long time. I just, it's just, you know, I've been on the edge." And I said, "Well, let me make a couple of phone calls. So I got a hold of some people I know." Down at Lajitas down there, and mm-hmm. where they cross cattle. Yep. And I said, if he goes, no problem. He said, just oh, if if something came up and he couldn't get back, you, we'll tell him where to go. We'll get him and we'll bring him
1: back. Yeah. No no ten day walk, three days without food. Nope. Uh, Might have to ride a coriani across or something <laughs> like that. But by God we're getting you back. Okay. So what happened
2: next? I I gotta know more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um uh, thankfully and, and I met my wife, now wife, and um, uh, we've been together for uh good three years and we have three children. Our oldest is uh, thirteen years old, boy, Isaac. Uh, my girl, she is, She just turned eleven in January, um, and then my little guy, Ivan, he just turned eight in November. We got married, and she was able to ask for me to become a resident. Mm-hmm. But I still had to. She's pay. a gringa. Yeah, yeah. she's yeah. An American citizen. She from I, around here. Uh, yes, actually, she um, she was born in Madras, mm-hmm. but her family comes from Montana okay. around Billings area. Gotcha. And she married me, and we still had to uh, get a lawyer. Yep. And we ended up paying about six thousand dollars. Yeah. For the whole process, and asked for a um, like a pardon letter mm-hmm. for me being here legally, but I had to show what type of character I was. And finally, immigration, saw who I was. He made me a letter. Uh, state trooper friend made me a letter. A lot of people made me letters. Uh, and now it was approved, but I still had to go down to Ciudad Juarez for 10 days to uh, get my my visa. Yeah. Uh, and once I did that, came through. They let me through. And We
0: didn't have to do the illegal yeah. crossing yeah. thing. Yeah. They let him back.
2: Yeah. My green card came in the mail 25 days after I got here from that trip, but... How did that feel? It was horrible. Yeah. Because I still had to go through the interview, right? And I had to be dead on on the questions and everything I said, I did. You know. Um, and the questions are
1: like history of the U.S. stuff, and no, it was more, more of
2: more of uh, more of uh, my wife when mm. I met her. When did I came through? How I came through? Okay. Who paid for me? Um, have I done any criminal acts in America? Yeah which I've never had. Um,
1: That's what I would say, too, for sure.
2: (laughs) You know? And so... um, But I think what helped was that I spoke English through my whole interview. Yeah. And the guy was starting to speak to me in Spanish, and I said, I'm sorry, but I've been in America for a long time, and English became mostly my first language. Yeah. I said, do you mind if we speak in Spanish because I would have to translate a little bit. He says, no, let's do it. So... After twenty questions, he took a moment, and I mean, I was sweating. Yeah. You know? Finally, says, "Well, you're approved. You will uh, told you right there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you're approved. Give me the green slip, and said you're gonna wait for these documents at such and such place. So, good luck and welcome to America.
1: So, are you a full blown U.S. citizen now?
2: No, I'm a, a green card holder.
1: Okay. So, what does that mean?
2: Um, I can go back and forth. Okay. Um, basically, I, I'm a Dual resident, uh, so I, I'm I'm, a, I'm still a Mexican citizen, mm-hmm. and I can go there and live there. Okay, and I can come here and live here. Okay, uh,
0: if he gets go... in trouble, though, they don't deport him. Yeah, yeah. he go to jail like I would. Yes, okay. gotcha. But
2: I do plan to become a citizen, just yeah. because uh, I don't have to renew it every ten years. Yeah, all I gotta do is just pay. But uh, I do want to become a citizen so I can vote. Yeah, because of the way I feel and the way I see the country going, I wanna make my boys count that's great so what's that process like uh it's uh i think it's about 750 dollars okay yeah and it's just one form that you my i put my uh, resident alien number and send it in and then just wait for them to say yes or no and or when i can do my fingerprints and then go it's a little longer process but it's a lot easier i don't have to go anywhere gotcha that's cool when are you going to get started Pretty soon, actually. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Just waiting to pay taxes off if I, we have to pay taxes and just got to get that money there and okay. get it done.
1: So. If I'll
0: pay for it. If <laughs> I'd have known it was 750 bucks <laughs> is holding you back, I'll take it out of well, my... Well,
2: I, I do appreciate it, but... Um, I know. I do like I know to... you. Yeah. I know
0: you really well. You want to so, do it on your own?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was approved for the green card, they told me that I couldn't get any assistance from the government for three years. And we have been through paycheck paycheck every month and I will never get, because I came to America to work. I came to America to work and I didn't get to America, to America to get free stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'll never do it. Yeah. So that's that's who I am. And, and when I see my own race or Mexican people, uh, you know, <laughs> doing EVT at stores walking out I walk right behind them after paying. right behind them and they do have nicer cars than I do I don't like that it puts a bad bad taste on 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 American people the way they see us because the way I I feel is that I'm a hard worker and I don't want nothing free I want to work for what I want and and I just don't like that part
1: yeah tell me about uh, getting into hunting Ten years ago, like were were you even aware of hunting when you were growing up in Mexico? No. Yeah. No, because uh, wasn't on your radar at all. Probably. No.
2: In Mexico, you there was there's no deer down from where I'm from. Right. There's no. I mean, there's lions. Actually, there's uh, jaguars. Yeah. Uh, but then there's no hunting, no deer, nothing. Because we're, they were killed almost to to uh, extinct on that part. Right. But they're they're surviving on the northern area. Yeah, Sonora. Yes. Yeah. There's ranches, and in America, you know, you can hunt and all. They, they moved down. But from where I'm from now, they got killed, too. Nothing. Right. Um, but down here, when I came here, I would always ask what what those animals were with horns. Hmm. You know, I was 18. You know, like, I would ride horses and kind of drive around. I'm like, what's that? They would say, well, that's an elk. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> then I start picking up shed horns here and there. I'm like, oh, cool, you know. And then deer. Yeah. And then uh, coyotes, mm-hmm. cougar. I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. I mean, you know, I get to work out in the hills and get to see all these wildlife. I didn't even know what wildlife was. Yeah. You know, I would see birds, but that's it. That's yeah. all you could see in Mexico. Right. Um, so once I decided to... Uh, Give my hunting license and go after one. It was, it was pretty awesome.
1: So, what was the first thing you hunted for? It was elk. It was elk. Yes. Your first hunt was elk. Yes.
2: Okay, I want to hear the story. So I was out in a big canyon we call Delco uh-huh. out here, and I didn't know sizes, points, what that. I, I just knew that I had to kill a bull. Mm-hmm. So I knew a bull had handlers. Yep. So then I looked and looked. Uh, I was always jumping them. And then I came up to the north side of Delco on the power line. You know, Craig. And I happened to look back, and there was a bull batted. But I could only see one side, and he was a six-point. So, okay, I got close to him. And uh, he spooked. He ran down to the draw. Came up to the other side of the draw, shot him. Uh, about 200 yards. Um, this is really before I even got into long-range hunting or building guns or, you know. What kind of rifle did you have? It was a 308 Savage. Nice. Yeah. So that did the job. That's a great gun to learn on. Yes. Yeah. That did the job. Took him down. Came down to him, and he ended up being a uh, six-point on one side, and it was a drop-tine club on the uh, the other side, the right side, with uh, about a four-point. It was a non-typical. Mm-hmm. That was my first bull.
1: Okay. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. It's not usually the way it goes. Yeah. We have some real freaks on this <laughs> on this <laughs> yes. ranch. We have the
0: bottle yeah. and that's all on the right side. Yeah. Oh, really? We'll get five, six points on this side, and then we'll get, like, these oddball two points and huh. weird stuff, just weird genetics. Yeah. that's cool. Yeah, it is kind of neat.
2: Yep. So it was pretty awesome. Got to do that, and then now I get to do it with my kids.
1: That's really cool. Yeah, super cool. He
0: he, to, he told me he, after he killed that elk, he said he he goes that was easy. And I said, <laughs> well, if you want to get a big bull, I said the best thing on this ranch, I I think it, the it's the archery hunt. Uh huh. Oh really? And so and this guy, he's like a researcher. Okay, like I, you, I, I I can tell because yeah. you.
1: You know what you're talking about. It's evident that you can look at something, you know, your your English is really good, um, but you're using the right terms for everything. You, you know exactly what you're talking about with all this stuff. So I can tell you've put a lot of research into it, especially for, you know, only having been doing it for 10 years. It's remarkable. You're, you're talking about the stuff at a professional level.
2: Wow.
0: Well, in his second or third year... He decides, you know, well, if that if that's that good my for it was your second year. It was your second year. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. That was your <laughs> second elk. And so he he goes, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. So he goes and he researches it out, buys himself a really nice bow, practices with it. And I said, well, how are you doing with your bow? And he said, well, I put. He goes, I don't know. This archery's new to me. I put like, like I can put like six arrows in a paper plate at sixty yards. <laughs> Okay. I said, "You're ready." Good. <laughs> so he put in for a, or bought, got his archery tag that year and ended up killing a 360 bull. <laughs> his second year was his second bull elk. Yeah. yeah,
2: it was awesome. Called him in. Yeah, yeah, by myself.
0: He got some video, <laughs> got some videos on calling, you know, and that's hardcore. Chirped him right in yeah. and stuck but, him.
2: Well, <laughs> we do have we do have a lot of good elk hunting here. Yeah. A lot of, yeah, yeah, a lot of elk hunting.
1: It's still tough, though. Like, there's so many people that that look at at hunting elk on private land, and they think that it's it's somehow different that they stop being elk. But a three a hundred and sixty inch bull is a mature bull elk anywhere in the world, and that means he's going to be at least six years old, and his senses are going to be so acute and so turned on. That if you don't defeat that that elk senses in every possible way, I don't care if it's in the Portland Zoo, you're not going to get close enough to him with a bow in order to get an arrow in him. You're just not elk, elk or elk anywhere that they are, and you know it doesn't matter which side of the fence that they're on. Yes, what what private land does offer that public land does not is the ability to to manage a herd and to be selective about which animals you're taking so that you can create a a better age class structure so that you can get more bulls to maturity. Whereas on public land, since there's more people and opportunities are more limited, folks are going to be more prone to take an opportunity at a younger bull and you don't ever get bulls that, that get to reach that that high genetic potential that only a few of them have. I mean, the research that that I've been a part of over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so is is basically that a lot of bulls just don't have it. You can let them be 14 years old and they're never going to get over 310 inches ever in their life. And uh, so you've, you've got to get your bulls old and get enough of a mold that you hit that genetic lottery so that one of them can actually get there. And then you've got to read the wind and the train and the time of day. And you've got to figure out how to not get busted by him or his cows and every other thing. And get in there and make sure that you don't, you know, choke. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. So that's pretty amazing. What kind of bow do you shoot? Uh, it's a bear. Bear bow? Yeah. yeah. Um, you like it? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I got it cranked up all the way to seventy pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, shoots about three fifty feet per second.
1: Oh, so you're shooting a real light arrow too? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, I only use hundred grainers. Yeah. Uh, broadheads. Yeah. They work for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, yeah, I. Yeah, like, if you hit them in the
1: right spot, it yeah kills them.
2: And they have come to me. I've called them myself, and they've come to me in just the right way every time. I mean, I've been fortunate mm-hmm. on that end maybe it's just the where i'm where i'm set at in the terrain because i've been here forever and it's so I kind of know the terrain and i've seen kinda, the trails yeah kind of yes. know the terrain yeah <laughs> yeah
1: see that he the tra- knows this place like the back of his hand yeah i'm kind of starting to get that sense
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so i see the trails so I okay yeah. i kind of know where to be kind of you know get there and they walk right up yeah the last bull i shot with the bow came 10 yards right up to me. Wow.
1: Pretty special feeling to have an elk that close. Yes.
2: It's amazing, though. I love what archery brings to you that rifle doesn't. Mm. I mean, rifle is, is good, but I believe bow, the adrenaline, the bulls pissing, coming out, screaming at you, that's, yeah. that's intense. And if you don't control your, your body, to get it right, uh, you just yeah.
1: So I'm I'm learning that that is a factor in more things than just just elk hunting, and I'm starting to take that a lot more seriously. Like how how am I actually physically controlling what's going on in my body? And I used to think about it just enough that be like, okay, how can I defeat these nerves and this adrenaline and excitement enough that I can, you know, control my rifle or my bow long enough to you know to press the trigger or or break the shot so that the sights don't move and the arrow or bullet goes where it needs to but what's really got me thinking about it more is the spear fishing that I've done lately because if you're not acting right underwater the fish are not going to get close to you and acting right means thinking right so you you have to have this mental control over yourself that is really hard to do especially in that environment where you're down there on one breath, you've got a lot of things going on. Um, You know, there's a lot of extra stressors that you're trying to keep out of your life so that you can stay underwater as long as possible. And everything from your posture to, you know, where your eyes are looking to how fast your heart is beating and how fast your fins are kicking, like all that stuff determines whether a fish is going to think that you are a predator or not. And if they think that you're not a predator, then they're going to be curious about your presence there because mm-hmm. you're new and mm-hmm. goofy, and they're going to swim over there, and, and then you can be like, I lied, bang, shoot <laughs> him with spear gun, eat him for dinner. i yeah. <laughs> not be
0: telling him any more of this, I'll be losing my cowboy. Here.
1: <laughs> I can see him starting to heat up over here. That's, that's very
2: interesting. It, yeah,
1: but it, it's it's very much true, uh, very much true on the ground as well when you're when you're all continent. I think that's. You know, kind of the point that, that you're getting at. I find it interesting that people often bring up exactly what you did as, as the difference between um, bow hunting and hunting with a gun. And it's almost always the, the proximity, right? And a bow is a forcing factor for that. Like, you have to get close with a bow because you can't effectively shoot it very far. Right. And even if you're zipping them into a paper plate every time at 60 yards... Out there in the real world, that probably means you're more like a 40-yard shooter on an elk. You know, just because there's a bunch of extra factors. You can shoot better on your home range than you can out on a hillside.
2: You're comfortable at the range.
1: Yeah, you're the hero there. Yes. Yeah, it's flat. You know, you're relaxed. You're no wearing wind. a T-shirt. Yeah,
2: you're it's, comfortable in that stand every time.
1: Yeah. Right. So I always recommend people take, you know, about 30% off their max practice range, and then that's what they use in the field. But ultimately that's somebody else's choice. So a bow makes you get closer than a gun. But there's no rule out there that says that you can't get close with a gun. And I love long range shooting. I think it is so much fun to sit there and mess with my kestrel and my rangefinder and figure out the density altitude and know everything about this projectile and, and uh you know get all my inputs correct and then Make sure that the gun is supported appropriately, and press the trigger without disturbing the sights, and make sure I have sight, sight picture and sight alignment, and send that shot, and then watch that watch that trace go downrange and impact that target. I love it. I love everything about it. You know, breaking a shot, and then three seconds later hearing that bullet impact. It's great, but it's a it's largely a math problem. You know, reading the wind and all of that. I also love close range hunting. You know, and uh like the bull I killed this year, I shot with a pistol, wow, and it was at thirty five yards it was during rifle season. um I called him in, and I shot him in the top of the heart with a pistol, and he went thirty five yards and lay down and died. It was awesome, yeah, and uh my my watch uh monitors my my heart rate. And I was able to go back and see how, how high my heart rate got <laughs> right when I shot. And I can't remember what it was, but it was almost like call your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. With a pistol, man, that's, that's pretty good. Sure. But, you know, I, I just want to remind people that just because you can shoot a rifle a long ways doesn't mean that you have to or that you should. I have got all the respect in the world for guys that really like to get close with a gun. And, uh, you know, it, it's a fun, fun experience. It's also fun to be able to walk straight up to an animal right after you shot and you've got all that adrenaline and endorphins in your body. Like today, you know, you guys want to talk, talk about today. We had a pretty good hunt today. Had oh, a pretty yeah. good yeah. hunt today. No, yeah. we, had, a we this had an excellent hunt We had an excellent hunt today. So the hunt started before I even got here. Started with you. Yes. So t- tell me about your morning. I heard you were up at 4.30 AM. Yes, I had to. I told
0: him I would check heifers, <laughs> yes. but he said, yeah, I, look, I, got, I get up early every morning, right? And I'm sitting here, and I look out my window, and there's the taillights going up the hill. Uh-huh. And I said, well, so I text him or called him and said, what are, you, what are you doing, Jose? Well, I'm checking the heavies. And I said, I thought you were going to go scout for sheep today. And he goes, well, I am, but I, I want to check these first before I go. And That's, that's the kind of em- employee, if yeah. you want to call it that, that yeah. he is. So, yeah, that's the way the day started. He's up checking heifers at way before daylight. Yeah. And, and then he's you know he said, well, everything's good. I'm going to head up and start looking for odd Audad.
1: So that is a full two hours before shooting light. Yes. Okay. So, all right. I think we've established that you're a really hard worker and you care about your job, but you also care very much about hunting.
2: <laughs> yes. Anything to do with hunting, I'm all about it. Yeah. Yes. And it don't matter who it is, I'm always happy to help. Just, I love it.
1: Okay. So, the earliest that you can see is 6.30. Where are you at?
2: Um, so, about 6.30, I started going up uh, the Ashwood road. Yeah. Uh, started breaking off into a, what we call Pony Butte. Mm-hmm. And waited there for a little bit just because I don't want to, sometimes, they could be down low. Yeah. But most of the time are high. hmm Out at they love the nastiest rocks. Yeah,
1: and really crappy vegetation. Like they'll eat stuff that nothing else is interested in eating. Yeah,
2: did you see them? Well, I was well, I was in the spotter scope. They were eating juniper.
1: Yeah, they
2: so were taking the nips out of that juniper.
1: I I looked in this this ram's mouth, and um, the vegetation that was in his mouth when he died is something that no self respecting cow on the planet would ever eat. <laughs> Pretty impressive. That was some really coarse feed that that they were targeting. Yeah. Okay. So you're up on the butte. Sun comes up. Glassing a little bit. Did you find them right away?
2: Nope. We looked, 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 and then um, finally, I wanted to glass towards the heifers, and sure enough, <laughs> yeah. I glass over there, and there's two standing on the skyline. Yeah. So I found them, and they went to bed.
0: Now, you'd already found like seven or eight or nine or something by then, Those were the first
2: two we've seen. Oh, they were? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so then, uh, Brian, I said there were some in the backside of the butte, so we went around the butte, and we were able to find six more, Mm -hmm. Um, and this is all within first light. All rams? Yes, all rams. All rams.
1: Uh, Is it normal that rams are separated from from the use this time of year?
2: uh, Yes. Yeah. They usually are within within the use about second season elk okay that's when i believe it's one of their first mating time mm-hmm. and the other mating time is about the springtime okay but
0: they they don't uh they don't have as much breeding going on in the springtime as there is like in november right i don't understand i don't know the science on
1: that but i know that they it's real low-keyed well if they're having late fall babies, the survival, even though the climate here is relatively mild, the survival's got to be lower. Probably. Than you think, yeah, Yeah. than lambs born in the spring. Well, uh, thank you very much for going out there and scouting this morning. I was, you know, I was up at at first light and driving, got here, you know, late morning and uh, got geared up and went over and met you and dropped down on the ground real quick and made sure that the rifle was zeroed very very important anytime that you travel any kind of a distance whatsoever before hunt like make sure that your gun is still zeroed because nothing else matters if you get that part wrong um so i shot once i hit one moa right shot again the bullet holes were touching i made a a correction um to my scope didn't didn't fire another shot uh I know this the scope really well. It's a Sig Tango Six. I've been shooting it for years, and I've got just complete faith that when I move it, it moves the amount that I just told it to. And since I just had two bullets touching and they're only one MOA out, uh, we're we're good to go. And that's I I typically find that there is a shift when I change places. You know whether it's a flight or or a long road trip, or whatever, and uh, the last time I shot this rifle was in uh, in December in Kansas on a on a deer hunt. So it had flown back. It had actually been uh, in a in a wreck with me on Christmas Eve. I totaled my my truck with this gun in the in the back seat inside of a rifle case, but still. And uh, Gotta get bounced around anyway, right? And it, it's yeah, if your gun can't survive getting totaled in a vehicle, it's not tough enough, yes. <laughs> like period. You know, hunting is going to treat it worse than that. And then I actually hadn't even thought about that until just now, but for it to go through all that, like TSA and luggage handlers, and then a, a truck wreck where a vehicle gets totaled, and then to come out here and it's uh, you know one MOA out. It's like, nah, not too yeah, bad. Not yeah, too shabby. Not too <laughs> shabby. <Yeah. laughs> <It's> pretty good. <laughs> so made the correction and then we headed out. Um found the sheep pretty quickly and uh and then you decided to stay back, um, Jose and just look in the spotter. And then me and Craig and, and uh and Brian decided to get closer. Um I always want to get as close as possible, kinda like what I'm talking about. It just you know, the closer you get the the better your odds are. And we had to shoot across uh, two canyons and uh, we got within 408 yards Um, and those rams were up and they're feeding. They're about to go out of a, go through some rim rock and go over the top. So we didn't have a ton of time, but they're, they're relaxed enough. You know, they weren't leaving. They were Mm -hmm. just uh, eventually going to leave. You know, we probably had another couple minutes there, I would say. And, you know, I, Got full full faith and confidence in you guys to be able to look at these sheep because I don't get to look at odd at all the time. And one one of the rams is a little bit bigger than the other, but they were both nice. They They're were both, both nice rams, really yeah. nice. So I just got set up on on a rock there on my on my bag, um, leaning across my my pack, and. You had those uh, Zulu Six stabilized binoculars. That was your first day using those. What do you uh, think of them? Thing? Those things are
0: awesome. Yeah. yeah, I've never had a pair of binoculars you could hold with one hand yeah. and have them be steady enough to look at what you're looking at. Yeah. And
1: those things are badass. Yeah,
0: it would, And it took me a second to figure out which one of those was the best one. Yeah, and I was like, you know, and they were they were gonna leave us. Pretty quick.
1: And I, I was not focused on that at all. I was focused on figuring out how to get steady in a shooting position. And if I really encourage people, if you're in a situation like this, to understand that you're working as a team and to not try to do everything yourself. Like, try to focus on your slice of the pie. And under those circumstances, my slice of the pie is I need to be able to make a good shot as quickly as possible, as soon as somebody tells me what I need to be shooting at. So I'm over here, get all snuggled in down to my bag. And uh, then, you know, Brian was trying to to phone scope the shot. And, uh, you know, he's not familiar with my phone. So he's like, it's blurry. And so I get up and go over (laughs) there and move it around. We're good, you know, got it all set up and uh, go back and lay down in my gun. And then you guys were able to figure out which ram was slightly bigger, and uh you know from from that point forward, it was just just shooting you know yep, um good shooting by it, the way yeah well you know it, it it was it was good enough shooting, good enough shooting, right. I watched that video back about fifty times after I got done caping him out, and I don't know if if I could have been able to tell that he was about to take a step when I broke that shot, but he did walk, walk as I was, as I was shooting. So you can hear the shot break. And then while the bullets in flight, um, I could figure out what time of flight is on a 400 yard shot, but, uh, I don't know, a little, little bit less than a second, but he'd moved about five inches, um, between the shot breaking and the bullet impacting spined him down. He went shot him again. Uh, that, that one also went, went through his spine down through his lungs, came out so, yeah, that that was a done deal, but here's the thing about shooting distance, right? So we just shot we just shot a ram at a quarter mile across two canyons. They happen to be canyons that we cannot physically walk across, right? So we're backing out. Jose heroically went and got the buggy and came down and got us, and we zip around. And uh, then you and me hiked over to it and uh, you guys cut through a couple fences so that you could get the buggy up there and uh, mobbed up the hill and we we got them all all cut up and packed out and and it was fantastic. But I I think a lot of people that travel and hunt don't understand how critical that front end work is, how much stuff gets done before they ever got there. And if I was just rolling in here to hunt on my own – And your guys were like, Hey, you know, head this way. This is where we usually see sheep. I'd absolutely be able to get it done, but it might take me four or five days, you know, to, to have you do so much on the front end and, you know, be up doing a a job that you were told that you don't need to do (laughs) first thing in the morning. And, and, uh, and then looking at sheep and making sure that they stay there and setting up targets. Like I, I just want to say thank you so much for, for doing all that. And, and and making it making it easy on me. That was super fun. Thank yeah. you both. Hey, our pleasure.
2: Yeah, yeah, my my pleasure. That's what gets me going, man.
1: Yeah. It's, it's pretty exciting. It, yes, it is. It was cool to see those acubons piled up on the far side of him, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. it was. It was yeah, awesome. Yeah. 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 A lot of pretty uh, special for me, old man here with my yeah. my two sons by different mothers. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, it's it's, it's really neat. It's really neat. It's neat to be able to hunt with, with somebody, uh, you know, that I grew up shooting with and, um, and you know, with you, Jose, who's gotten into it later on and taking it so seriously, like that's, that's badass, man. I'll hunt with you anytime you yeah. want.
2: Well, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs>
1: All about it. Yeah. So what are some other hunts that you want
2: to do that you haven't done yet? Um, uh, I would like to do maybe a bear hunt. Uh-huh. Cause, uh, I think it'd be pretty neat. well, the deadline for Spring
1: Bear is in four days. Wow. Your application costs eight dollars. A bear tag costs sixteen dollars and fifty cents.
2: Well, I might get to it? okay
1: that, yeah. that's only it's only three days worth of work to to make that kind of money. so just kidding.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, he's in America. Now.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, that is awesome.
1: Yeah, no, Oregon is such a great state. And by the time this comes out, sorry to you guys because it's after the deadline, but it's a great state for for bear hunting because it's one of the mo- least expensive tags that we have. Um, bears and lions are both $16.50. Uh, you can get two lion tags. If you draw a spring bear tag, you can still get two fall bear tags over the counter. And those prices are the same for residents and non residents. So if you're from anywhere in the world, you can come here and get a bear tag for $16.50.
2: Wow, I didn't know that. Pretty
1: screaming deal.
2: Yes, it is.
1: Do you guys have bears around here? not many but we
0: occasionally we'll we see one we yeah. treat one with our cow dogs here not too long ago
1: uh, north of here a little bit gotcha i like bear hunting so much um i really love glassing i think bears are a fascinating animal to watch i think that rendered bear fat is just one of the m- most awesome elixirs on the planet for leather and pie and you know everything in between and uh Yeah, bear hunting is just fun. They're they're an unpredictable and busy creature. Uh, Sometimes you'll watch them just lay on a hillside for half of a day, and then you'll make your move to get over there, and they just vanish. (laughs) Um, And they can walk into, like, walk behind a tree, and you think that there's no way that he can get anywhere without me seeing him. And the next time you see him, he's like half a mile away. You know, cruising. It's like, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, they could just Houdini around. Super, super fun hunt. And it's a great time of year to get out. Gosh, I mean, April, May. It's fantastic. Love getting out in the springtime. Oh, yes. Yeah. What else are you going to do? Shoot a turkey, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Maybe a combo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what
2: other hunts? Lion. Um, Oh, yeah, lion. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a tough one. Yes. I've done yeah. pig hunting here because mm-hmm. we used to have pigs, yeah. lots of pigs. Uh, we actually did my first pig hunting, me and Todd. Mm-hmm. another coworker cowboy. cowboy. All we had in our pickups was my three fifty seven revolver, mm-hmm. single-action revolver, and his thirty thirty 30 open sides. And we decided to go after them. There was about 15, 20 of them. We walked right up to ten yards from them, hmm. and I told Todd, "Well, you got the rifle, so you start blazing at him, and I'll try to hit something, so he shoots, drops one, and they start running towards us because they didn't know where they were coming from, where right. the shots <laughs> were coming from, so they start running towards us, and i it's a revolver, single action, you know, so I pull the trigger, and I can't shoot so I had to cock it. So then finally he comes right by me and I hit him in the temple. Nice. Yeah. Dropped him. Good shot. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know how I did that. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. I mean, uh, I'm good with a pistol, but that day was, you know, was one of those good days. So then all I could do was just him, just the one. I only had four shots mm-hmm. and Todd was able to drop three with, you know, open sides, but wow. that was, that was amazing. Um,
1: And how come you guys don't have pigs anymore? Did you shoot them all? Um, The government did. Yes.
2: The state. Gotcha.
1: Helicopters. Yeah. Now, you guys were saying that there's somewhere around 6,000 odd ad here now? 4,000
0: was the last count that I had heard from a guy that drone drone counts them.
1: Yeah. So they're probably a permanent fixture in Oregon now. Uh, I don't know. It would take a massive, massive effort. To, to uh, annihilate them, yeah. yeah, to get them out of this ecosystem. Yeah. Have they caused problems here on the ranch?
0: No, they like you were saying earlier. They don't eat anything that the cattle eat, right? You right. You know, yeah. they have their own, and they're just not an issue at all.
1: I'm sure that the the biologists are afraid that they're going to be a vector for disease to bighorns.
0: We, yeah, uh, I I actually Jose and I were out there hunting one day, or he called me up and he said, "There's some." There's a bunch of rams out here. You should come and check them out. And I hadn't been here a real long time, and I wanted to see ODAD. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd seen them down in New Mexico, so I went out there and I looked, and there were 17 oddad rams, but there was 19 animals there. And I looked, and two of them were bighorns, mm. about half-grown, you know, probably four-year-old bighorn rams yeah. running with these oddad. And I called up Jeremy, a sheep guy from down here at the Dalles. And uh, told him, and he said, shoot them. <laughs> he goes, I don't want them coming back. He goes, those are probably the same two that were in Paul Reeder's, Reuters' d- domestic sheep. Mm. And now they're in with those oddad. We don't want them getting back to the bighorn herd. So shoot them. And I said, well, I, I don't know if I can find them again. We went and looked, and we couldn't find them again. They'd wow. taken
1: off. But So they'd rather have those sheep shot than, than risk them bringing a disease back to the herd, which... Makes sense, but it comes from such a fearful place. It does. Yeah.
0: It does. It's always been bizarre to me that they're that. that. And we, our California bighorns that are here in the Deschutes, they slip out of there once in a while. We'll see them around, and they, and there's, carvers have a big sheep outfit down here, and they get in with those domestic sheep, and it keeps the biologists pretty
1: spooked. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Well, it it's It's a privilege to be able to come and hunt them with you guys. It's something that you know you and I, Craig have talked about for years now, and you know just schedules and opportunities haven't lined up and yeah i'm I'm just really grateful to both of you. It was a f- super cool experience and I think that for the sake of for the sake of Oregon, I wouldn't mind seeing seeing there be more and more odd ad and and watch this opportunity grow and then also have these animals utilize some vegetation and habitat that is just being underutilized or or completely neglected by completely other wildlife
0: neglected pretty much maybe a few mule deer you know they yeah. might they they might share that with the odd add a little bit but the elk don't yeah and definitely the livestock
1: don't right i've never seen anything eat juniper before coryneas yeah <laughs> but <laughs> Man, they don't live have, on it; they'd have to be hard up for it, <laughs> yep, and then you know the other factor is that this is this is the people's sheep. This isn't something that that you're going to have to spend thirty thousand dollars to go hunt uh that That is such a select group of humans that can afford to to spend thirty thousand dollars to go sheep hunting. Whereas, you know, if, if Audad continued to reproduce, which seems very likely at this point that that population is going to continue to grow and that they'll find more and more habitat throughout Oregon's Canyon systems that, you know, people will be able to go out there and, and hunt Audad and get some meat and have some recreational opportunity. And whether they're hunting lambs or user rams, I don't really care. You know, they're in Oregon right now, they're considered livestock, whether they're on private or public land and. You know, I, I haven't seen the state come up with a very good plan for managing them, at, l- at least one that, you know, they've talked about with the public at all.
0: Yeah, I haven't, I haven't either. Yeah. We had a herd out here on the moon place last year that, I think it was last year, that it was probably, what, 300, 350 ewes and lambs? Yeah. And young rams.
1: Wow. And that really helps them with the predators that they're willing to run in a big herd like that. Yep because that's a lot of eyes and ears and noses for a lion to slip up on that's that's where they run
0: is the biggest lion area on the ranch yeah Yeah.
2: and i've never seen one carcass that was probably killed by a lion yeah not one
1: now we just need ibex yeah yeah Yeah, i'm all about it (laughs) (laughs) that'd be awesome all right gentlemen well thank you both very much um both for the hunt and uh, and for sitting down and talking on the podcast, Jose, super inspirational story I am going to give you my number if you get if you get hung up at all during this next phase of your process of becoming a us. citizen, I hope that you'll reach out and uh, me and I'm sure a huge number of the listeners on the show will be there to help support you in any way that you can I oh, appreciate that we, that we that. can. Um, sure do. I'm proud of you. I think that you are you're going to be you're going to be a fine american and that will be um, a wonderful thing for our country to to have somebody like you that that loves and, and appreciates this place and has worked hard to get here and uh, and wants to cast a vote. I think that's wonderful.
2: Well, I I do appreciate it.
1: Yep.
0: It's people like Jose is how this country was founded.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just wish that it had been more people like Jose and fewer dirty Irishmen like you.
0: (laughs) I set myself up for that one. (laughs) You did. Oh,
1: man. To all my uh, Irish audience, I'm kidding, obviously.
2: (laughs) Well, Um, Don't worry, all you Irishmen out there that just
0: kind of cringed when he said that. Just know that he's a freaking Scotsman. We know how that works, right? Yeah, right.
2: (laughs) Well, it's been a first for me, James. Well, I appreciate it, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week.